Hi, welcome back to Escape Leaving Hell Behind. In this podcast, we talk with people who have left an overbearing religion or cult behind. I am back again today, and I'm here with my guests. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what high demand religion or cult you left? Hi, uh, I'm Melissa, and I left the Seventh day Adventist church about 30 years ago. And um, it's an ongoing process. It's interesting. Well, it's great to have you here. And now why don't you tell us a little bit about what led you to leave? So just a little intro into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, because a lot of people haven't heard of it. It is a huge worldwide religion, actually larger than the Mormons, the Methodists, anything. Worldwide, they have about 21 million members, I think, currently. Their population in the United States is not as large as their worldwide one because they are aggressive missionaries. And the United States and Western Europe populations are relatively smaller. They were founded, so they're just basically an extreme fundamentalist religion. They believe every word of the Bible is true, but they also had their own prophet from around the same time that the Mormon prophets, there was that whole religious explosion in the United States. And their prophet's name was Ellen G. White. And she got hit in the head with a rock when she was about nine years old and started having she had a lot of uh, seizures and comas. And But along with that, she started having visions from God. So instead of assuming that it was a traumatic brain injury, she was in a God's messenger. So oddly enough, the Adventists are very, of course, misogynistic, like all fundamentalist religions are, but they do not, they will not ordain women, but yet their prophet was a female. So she built on the basic fundamentalist tenets and made it an even more extreme control religion. There were all these dietary rules. There were all these movies were from the devil. Bowling was from the devil. Just you couldn't salt and pepper. You couldn't have anything spicy because that inflamed your senses and that led into lust. And so... (laughs) just on and on, you know, no dancing, no, a lot of it was fear of sex, right? But it was just all all, just high control. So there are some Adventists in the United States that do live in the world. But for the most part, they live in their own communities. The one that I lived in for most of my teenage years was Berrien Springs, Michigan. That's where the seminary is. And they have their own schools. They have their own, they even have their own medical school. And they, the town that I grew up in or spent most teenage years, like even the mailman and the UPS delivery guy are Adventists. Like you just had no contact with the outside world whatsoever. The local grocery store was Adventist. They're vegetarians. So there was no way to even get meat in our town as far as I know, but no caffeine, you know, a lot of those usual high, strange rules. I know a lot of people in the deconstruction community left for uh, a lot of very deeply theological reasons. Mine was not theological. I'm not sure I ever really believed. Mine was purely, I'm 18 and these rules suck and I'm out of (laughs) here. And then only later, so in the past 30 years, then I've been processing the theological damage, the psychological damage Because back then there was no deconstructing. You just, you thought you left and yay, I'm cured, done. And of course we all know that's so not true. (laughs) 
Definitely. And I love that you left because you just found the rules too expensive, the rules too excessive. Um, a big thing with my podcast is wanting to normalize anyone leaving for any reason. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, they had some earth shattering moment when they decided that it wasn't true. If people want to leave because they feel the rules are too excessive, more power to you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure for all of us, it's a little bit of a combo of a lot of things. But yeah, I know a lot of people, I think, get very offended um, when people accuse them of, oh, you just want to sin. And it's like, well, even that's a great reason to leave. <laughs> like, it's just whatever. <laughs> I definitely agree. That's not why I left. But like I said, yeah, if you, and I don't even see it as sinning, but if people want to think of it that way, if they just want to sin, that's their life. Go do, go do what makes you happy. Exactly. So I think you are probably one of the, people who has been out the longest and it's interesting to hear you say that it's still a process. Can you describe some of that? Yeah, it is obviously not a linear path. And I think when people are first getting out, they're really hoping that it'll just be like, and I'll go from A to B to C and then I'll be deconstructed and then it'll, you know, and that would be great. But obviously it was with all super complicated, super embedded things. It is a stop and start. And I, I, First, it was this big, wonderful leap, and all of a sudden, normal life. You know, you could experience normal life. And then having children, of course, brought up a lot of issues, family stuff with holidays and your parents and everything that always brings up things. And I did, I really hadn't realized, like, in my opinion, the God of the Bible is so, is such a narcissist, right? He's a sociopath. And so, that's one of the pieces that I've just been putting together recently in the past few years of, oh my gosh, when you're raised in that view, no wonder I always felt like I was, tra- I, I was prey to narcissists and sociopaths. You know, you're not allowed to have boundaries. God is just such a capricious controller and mean and nasty. So you take these pieces. So that's been the piece that I've been exploring lately is like, okay, this really subjected me to these cycles in life where I didn't have boundaries with people. And I was prey to these kinds of psychopaths. (laughs) And then in your twenties, you're probably going through the sexual part of it and separating like the sin of sex versus the, you know, not and the more bodily things. So it comes and goes and you think you get one piece all figured out. And then there's another piece that comes up because of something and it's an ongoing process. So now, when you left, did your family stay in Seventh-day Adventist? Yes. they. Well, I have a sister and a brother, and neither of them stayed in the church. But my parents, I am a third or fourth generation Adventist on both sides of, of my family tree. And so most of the family is all still absolutely buried in it. I feel like that makes it hard to leave completely leave as well. I feel like when people have their family leave with them, it's a little bit easier for it to be linear and not like back and forth. Yes. Yeah. I think for sure it's easier. I feel like I was very fortunate. At least my parents, we immediately went to just a don't ask, don't tell type of veneer, which of course is not very deep, but it keeps the peace. 
And when I see in the deconstruction community, some of these people whose family members are just vicious, just nasty to them and sending them horrible messages and not seeing them and all kinds of stuff. And I really feel for people in that stage because that's hard. That's rough. My heart goes out. (laughs) So now what is the process of leaving for X Seventh-day Adventist? Well, that is a very interesting question because there isn't a process at all. And my experience of it was I just stopped going to church. I left. I moved out of the town. I moved to New York City and I just thought, okay, I'm done. And then a few years later, I thought, I'm going to write and say, take my name off the books. Take me out. And I went, I ended up going through every couple of years, I would go through this cycle where I would write to the pastor of the church that I had last been in. And he would write back to me and say, oh, this will break your father's heart. Oh, you know, don't worry about it. You can think about it some more. And it would be like, no, I want, you know, and then they'd tell me, they'd refer me to the general conference, which is the overall governing body. And then I'd never get any response at all. So I never knew if my name was taken off or not. And they would just give me this runaround. And so I thought that was just me. And to this day, I don't know if they've actually taken me off. But now that I've started to find all these people online who are ex-Adventists also, it's amazing. That is a church policy because a lot of people have gone through the exact same thing of just no response sort of guilt trips, threats a little bit in terms of, oh, well, we'll have to, like one woman I know uh, wrote and said, take me off the books, but I don't want it to be public because her parents were still in the religion. She didn't want to hurt their feelings. And so of course the pastor wrote back and said, we have to take this as a vote in front of the whole church. It's like, no, you don't. But you're, you know, I asked you not to keep it public. And so, of course, you think of the most public thing you can do to threaten me. So it's a lot of creepy stuff like that. But as far as I know, I don't know how anybody ever actually gets their name taken off. That is crazy. I guess maybe they have to hire a lawyer. I know. I've thought of that, actually. It's true. It makes me wish I had another lifetime. I'd go back and train to be a lawyer and then do that for my work. <laughs> Help people escape. And now, so you have no idea if you're still officially in or out? Yeah, I don't know. It's I don't even know how to find out if I'm in or out. That is crazy. And that's so not fair to you because you, I mean, obviously after all these years, you haven't went back and you have no interest. Yeah, I just, so that probably helps like feeling tied to it because you have no idea if you're still in or out too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you wonder what's being done in your name. You know, my name is still officially on their books for whatever they're doing. And that really bugs me. Oh, I can see that. And now, so you mentioned that they're not allowed to have caffeine. So they're not allowed to have coffee like Mormons. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I was really, I didn't know that. I'm I'm learning so much about Mormons now through the deconstruction. And it's just... It's fascinating how many similarities we do we have. Yes, no coffee, no you know Coke, no caffeinated sodas, and then they follow all the the biblical. I mean, people tend to think of them more as the Jewish rules, but it's just fundamentalism. The no cloven hooves, no pig, no this, no that, no shellfish. But most Adventists are just plain vegetarian. But yeah, certainly no alcohol and no caffeine. 
So when you left, was it fun for you to get to drink coffee? I know. It was so exciting, wasn't it? I felt so sophisticated and and just delighted. Like caffeine was a whole other level. <laughs> yeah. For me, Dutch Bros coffee is life. I, I can't imagine like, yeah, yeah, coffee. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great. Yeah. It's funny. So what are some other fun things that you enjoyed doing that you didn't get to do as an adventist besides like dietary stuff? Gosh, everything. I'm still catching up on what was popular music and TV shows from back when I was a kid and a teenager because I didn't get to watch any of those. Or, so that's fun to catch up on all the cultural references that I missed and, and the books, the literature too that we didn't get to read and the dietary. I've probably gone overboard in the other direction on the dietary stuff just because it's so much fun so now I just like spicy and all the meat I can eat and drinking and of course I went through my smoking phase even when I first got out because I thought that was so glamorous and just going dancing going bowling for crying out loud is just always feels still just a little bit naughty even though I've been out forever but you just kind of get a get a giggle like ha 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 look at me <laughs> and we weren't allowed to, there's also a ban on jewelry so that was a really fun one when I first got to pierce my ears and all that so I didn't know they had a ban on jewelry are women allowed to wear wedding rings in the very conservative little spectrum that I was in no even wedding rings are not allowed now I've heard that it's gotten more liberal pretty much across the board and so there's but, you know, as with everything with these silly religions that are just so controlling, it was very inconsistent because you were allowed to wear pins. Women would be wearing these giant jeweled pins on their lapels, and that was okay. Men could wear cufflinks, but yet rings and necklaces were not okay. And explain the logic there, but... <laughs> It seems like they would at least want women to be able to wear wedding rings to have them be branded as someone's exactly. wife. <laughs> to signify the ownership. <laughs> exactly. I know. I think they, they missed a real opportunity to um, oppress women there. They don't miss too many. So now how did they get around having a woman prophet, but women can't be, women can't be ordained? Isn't that the weirdest thing? I think during her lifetime, because she died, I think, in the very early 1900s, maybe, I don't know, 1920s. But I think during her lifetime, she espoused that that was the way it was supposed to be done, that women were not, women had their place in the home and, they, you know, raise the children, homeschool the children, all that, but that they were not supposed to preach, which this, then just, again, talk about inconsistency. Like, where was her personal brain pat? Well, clearly she'd been hidden. <laughs> Her personal brainwaves were probably very <laughs> disordered. But yeah, how she and the church just glossed over that one, I have no idea. Because women still are not allowed to preach. They're certainly not allowed to be ordained. And yet there she is, the great fearless leader. <laughs> yeah, that is so interesting. At least, I mean, it's still bad. But with Mormons, it was started by a guy, so he's been led by guys. So it's bad, but it makes sense. Right. Yeah. It wasn't started by women who say, no, hey, no women. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
I don't know. I've never gotten anyone to give a good explanation, anyone in the church structure. It's just, well, that's that was God's plan. <laughs> You're like, all right, if you say so. Right, exactly. <laughs> so now you've obviously had a family outside of it. Did you ever hear, oh, you're not able to raise good kids being outside of religion and all those like awful, god awful lines? Yes. Yeah. My mother did try to do that pressure just a bit. And of course, every time still when we're at their house for Christmas or any other time, they are always asking, so are you going to bring the kids to church? And it's like, no, but they, they never outright critiqued it. But I do remember when my kids were young, my mom trying to have these kind of official, like, well, how are you going to teach them morality and ethics and all that? And it's like, mom, that has nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, (laughs) the Bible makes it a lot worse. (laughs) So yeah, I feel lucky in that regard that I didn't get, because again, I see people and their comments and on their accounts of just parents and grandparents and extended family and are just being vicious about their kids. And that's just not helpful. Yeah, I'm glad you've had parents who are a little bit more, like they're a little bit more able to respect boundaries. Because it's funny, my family, if I were to talk to them about ex-Mormon stuff, oh boy but they can push Mormon stuff on me. Like it's not as bad as some people, but like they don't, they don't shy away from the opportunity to mention it when and where they can. Yeah. 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 That is, that's very tough to deal with because like you said, it doesn't go both ways. You're not allowed to push your opinions on them. Yeah. I don't, It's so odd to me because being, when we were being raised, my parents were about on the the most conservative, most controlling spectrum and no boundaries whatsoever, no locked doors. All of our rooms were searched through our, you know, we just had no boundaries, but then it just seems like they, they were able to flip a switch when we were 18 and just like, so I know that that's not the usual path is those controlling parents stay controlling for the rest of your life. (laughs) Definitely. And now so you left and before you got married and is your husband atheist or is he like a different religion or how is that for you? Like leaving and then getting married and all that or your ex-husband or wherever you're at in your life. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I have two ex-husbands <laughs> and they were both basically my first ex was raised a uh, Catholic sort of, you know, nominally Catholic. And then my recent ex-husband, it was vaguely Baptist, but neither of them were raised in a religious setting at all. So they really weren't. And my um, current partner is Native American. He has a whole cool other spiritual background that it's been really interesting for me to learn about because I know nothing about more earth-centered spirituality. So that's been a fun learning curve. And now, where do you feel like you fit? Do you feel like you're agnostic, atheist, earth-centered spirituality? Where do you feel like you fit in? I, up until extremely recently, so from when I left to just in the past couple of years, I would have definitely just said pretty much straight up atheist. Like, I just don't believe in any of it. Possibly agnostic I could maybe, yeah, all right, maybe there's something out there. I'm not going to think about it too much. I do definitely think I'm 
back up more on the agnostic scale now. And I absolutely freaking hate it when people say I'm spiritual, but not religious. I just, it just like turns my skin inside out. But I find that's maybe where I'm at (laughs) is finding some sort of spirituality just through meditation and nature and everything that I haven't defined too much yet, but it feels good. It feels good to just believe that there's something beyond just our concrete every day. So I'm with you on that phrase that I I hate how it sounds, but I'm like, that's the best way to describe myself as well. Yeah. I don't really talk about with people because for me, like the higher power I believe in, they don't care if people doubt them. Like they don't give a shit. So like when people hear that I'm still spiritual, they're like, I think they get, especially if they're atheists, they get really scared that I'm like, want to convert them. No, I have like no stake in the game. Like the higher power I believe in, like they don't care if you doubt them, they understand. So I don't feel the need to get people to believe something that they don't want to believe. That's awesome. Like you do you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Especially for those of us raised in these like super missionary cultures. It's like, believe me, I do not want to try to missionaryize you into my current position. Been there, done that. Nope. You just do you. And I'm happy for you. (laughs) So what do you feel like the biggest challenge was for you after you left? Oh, I think really the biggest challenge was realizing that it hadn't just been an easy escape, like admitting that there is a lot of work to do here. And a big step was admitting that I needed therapy on it, you know, because I don't know, that felt weak, but it also just seemed like I'm out. So, and I'm too smart to believe what they were shoving down my throat. So I must be done. You just kind of trust that you've found the right way and you know that they were crazy and so onward. And so I think the biggest challenge was slowly coming to the realization that no, this has, this was embedded in me and it was embedded in me generationally. And it is going to take some real painful digging to realize all the damage and the patterns and heal them instead of just walking off. So I know some people who leave a religion, they view it as a cult and then some people don't. So do you, do you view, do you view Seventh-day Adventists as a cult or no? I do. I do. I know that the technical definition of a cult is debated and often they require for your definition that it has a kind of dictatorial leader that's controlling everyone. And I feel like Ellen White kind of did, even though she's dead, but she still does to an extent control thought waves and behavior there. And just their super high control of everyone, of the every aspect of people's lives, I think is very cult-like. And what are three tips you have for people looking to leave a high demand religion or cult? Oh dear. Yeah, that is important. I think I would assure people that it does get better. You know, it, it that that's something to keep in mind because it is hard and it's going to be gruesome, but it goes in spurts. So don't get too excited off the bat when you think you're done because you're not, but don't get too upset when it seems really awful because you're already 
on your way to better. And definitely do the work. Do Admit to yourself that this was possibly the, the most damaging and affecting thing in your life and give it the respect that it needs. You don't have to be better right away. You don't have to be anything. Give yourself the kindness of acknowledging what you're doing, I think. And what would be another thing? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the end of my (laughs) advice. And that works. (laughs) So now as we're getting ready to wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I, yeah, I think I would just tell people to be open, to continually monitor yourself kindly with stuff that you don't think is related to the religion. Could be. Check in with yourself and just let it tell you because you'll find odd things that are, you can trace right back to it. Oh, that's such a great tip. Well, thank you for coming on and have a great day. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks again for joining us today. As always, I want to give special thanks to our sponsor and friend, Corporate Design Solutions, who has generously made it possible for this podcast to be a reality. If anyone is looking for help protecting their digital info, please email Michael at helpdesk at corpdesignsolutions.com.